0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations and everything in between. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Brenna.
0: <laughs> oh, you're sounding so chipper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did I? Oh, god, I faked it.
0: Yay. Hey, fake it till you make <laughs> it, right?
1: How many months can we keep faking it, Joe?
0: <laughs> um... I got to sit on my balcony this week, and I got a little bit of vitamin D, so I'm actually kind of feeling like a human being.
1: Yay! Briefly. Actually, I did too. Yesterday was beautiful here, and we went for a walk. I took the morning off work.
0: Ooh, good call.
1: Yeah, well, I was like, I work all weekend and all evening, so it's like, sometimes I'm going to take a morning, and so...
0: Yeah, uh, I think so.
1: (laughs) We did a long walk, and then we actually had our lunch, like out on the like shared backyard of our townhouse complex. And mm-hmm. it was really good. You're right. Yeah, I think it's vitamin D. Like, it's just necessary.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's one of those things that human beings maybe need to live. Like yeah. human touch <laughs> and uh, occasionally food and water.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Huh>. uh. <laughs> so we actually watched two movies for this technical mini- mini-sode.
0: This is true. Yes, this could have been a proper regular episode. But as I mentioned last week, I really didn't feel like reading Cyrano de Bergerac the play. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do a very cursory introduction to the concept, Mm -hmm. not the concept, to the idea of what the play is all about. And then we're going to talk about Sierra Burgess is a loser, as well as the half of it, both of which are available on Netflix.
1: Yes, and one of which is fine, and the other of which is awesome. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I was actually surprised because I definitely thought one of these was going to be kind of crappy. And it turned out a little bit better than I thought, although I definitely still have some issues with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think you know which one I'm talking
1: about. Yeah, I do. I really do. (laughs) Non-consensual kissing is (laughs) A-okay. I was not okay. And also,
0: I I don't need lesbian jokes because Mm -mm. a girl is fat. No. Like, I just don't need that in my 2018 film
1: yeah no 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 it's a lot and also well anyway i think we're just going to talk about the film if we do that so yeah. we are going to do a brief homework reflection roundup before we get into it because mm-hmm. it is minisode right yeah it okay.
0: is cool. this is our format it's like we decided on it and we sometimes follow it <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh okay so i um teased a book in our forecast episode that i actually then went and read joe Aww. I know nobody's more surprised than me unsurprisingly it's the Elizabeth Acavedo title that I talked about in our May June forecast episode called mm-hmm. clap when you land and so that was the one about the guy who dies in a plane crash and it turns out he sort of had two families secret family, secret family yeah so he had his family in New York City and he had his family in the Dominican Republic and uh, obviously in the wake of his passing they find out about each other As as you would, yeah. Yeah, as you would. It's fantastic. It's a typical Elizabeth Acovedo in that it's entirely in verse. Yes. But you can really see her maturing as a writer here because Mm. we have two characters focalizing. Okay, right. The uh, sort of American daughter and the Dominican daughter are each focalizing different parts of the story and you can really tell the difference in the voices like they're just very clearly different characters even if you don't see the chapter heading you know whose Mm. poems you're reading
0: right which is something that we talked about in trinkets last week where that is the sign of a confident writer who can really create distinct characters
1: yeah because i think we've also read a lot of books that try to play a voice like that and it doesn't work and i'm looking at you john green like it's always just john green in a hat right
0: always yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah this is a really accomplished book i found it to be a very quick read but there are certainly components of it that you could linger over if you if you wanted to characterization is great the family drama family secrets really compelling component of the story and a really so it's about fatherhood on the surface because the dad is absent and that's a huge hole but it Mm -hmm. very quickly becomes more of a meditation on female relationships so one girl is raised by her mom and dad in new york city but the other girl is being raised by her aunt her father obviously is absent and her mom has passed away and so this notion of sort of care and who chooses to care for you and how you define a family uh is a really significant component of the book and works really well so i highly Um, recommend it it was a great read and the kind of read that really takes you out of yourself which i think we can all agree is necessary right now yeah
0: (laughs) and that one's out right now right it is
1: yeah yeah it just came out i think last tuesday okay yeah Yes, and it's great. It's just really good.
0: Okay. Excellent. Good to hear.
1: Oh, and uh, like a technical thing, I read the ebook version of it, mm-hmm. and the formatting is on point. So oh, thank goodness. Yes, because it matters for poetry. <laughs> just a touch, <laughs> you right? Know? Yeah. So don't worry about it if you have to read the ebook because you can't get hard copy books where you are right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you have something else?
1: I have another one that I just wanted to mention to our listeners. It is. Definitely not YA by any stretch of the imagination, but much in the same way that we all really liked The Virgin Suicides, like for better or for worse, but in, you know, from a literary perspective, we really liked it. Right. This book sort of has the same, I don't know, I guess, reflective thinking about teenagehood as Virgin Suicides did. And so it might be of interest to our listeners. So uh, it was also a huge title. It's called Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls by T. Kira Madden. Okay. And it's a memoir, so it's nonfiction, but it's a quite incredible life story um, about her teenage years. She's the niece of the Steve Madden, like, shoe empire guy.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: Whose entire family was wrapped up in white-collar and also not-so-white-collar crime. Shocking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, so a lot of white-collar crime, but also, like, a lot of drugs. Mm. The story opens with her birth basically like a reflection on her mother's experience of her birth her mother was her father's mistress who sort of stubbornly and insistently decided to keep her daughter when she got pregnant and you sort of find out over the course of the narrative a whole bunch more about that backstory but her father ends up leaving his original family to marry her mother and raise this Mm -hmm. daughter and so (laughs) there's all this sort of complexity in the family relationship and a lot of um Regret on the father's part that is pretty explicitly directed at his daughter. Uh, so yeah, it's just a really strong, really strong memoir, really unique family story, and just really compelling. If you liked The Glass Castle or any of those kind of big name women's memoirs from kind of troubled, confusing families, Priest Daddy is another one I would compare it to. Yeah. Uh, it's quite good. So yeah, to Kira Madden, long live the tribe of fatherless girls. And Joe, that means I read two books.
0: Wow. I know. Look at you go.
1: I, it's like I can read again.
0: <laughs> I can't get you to respond to my text, but you read
1: two <laughs> Oh, that's a fair point. I've been an a hole this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, as we've talked about several times, you have maybe just a bit more on your plate than I do. <laughs> my daily concern is like, do I exercise before I start drinking or. <laughs>
1: Work has been a real bear this week. And uh, i it was funny, I actually just sent a Mia culpa text to a couple of people yesterday who I've ignored even more than you, Joe, because at least we talk once a week. Oh, my God. Right.
0: <laughs> Please excuse my absence. I'm drowning yeah, in work.
1: Literally, literally. And it's just, it's been a bad, I don't know. I don't know if other people are finding that this is just getting to be a lot. But I'm also trying to potty train. Groot right now
0: oh mm.
1: so anyway yeah. send booze
0: <laughs> <laughs> send booze and hugs yes, yes exactly
1: <laughs> in uh, that order mm-hmm. in that order yeah don't, don't come at me with your hug if you don't got booze <laughs>
0: uh we don't condone <laughs> alcohol abuse but
1: condone it a little bit joe just a little bit helpful a yeah. little soup song <laughs> of yeah. abuse mm-hmm. okay
0: all right, it's I gotta five stop. five o'clock somewhere. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, my homework update is I have begun reading a fantasy book. And I can't recall whether I've talked about this or not. It was on my want to read saved Goodreads list. And I thought, you know what? I could do with a little bit of escapism, as we've talked about mm-hmm. numerous times. Mm-hmm. So I have begun reading House of Salt and Sorrows by Aaron S. Craig. It's a really good title. Right? Yeah. It's lady fantasy, so here's a plot description for you. Annalie lives a sheltered life at Highmoor, a manor by the sea with her sisters, their father, and stepmother. Once they were twelve, but loneliness fills the grand halls now that four of the girls' lives has been cut short. Each death was more tragic than the last. The plague, a plummeting fall, a drowning, a slippery plunge, and there are whispers throughout the surrounding villages that the family is cursed by the gods. Disturbed by a series of ghostly visions, Annalie becomes increasingly suspicious that the deaths were not accidents. Her sisters have been sneaking out every night to attend glittering balls, dancing until dawn in silk gowns and shimmering slippers, and Annalie isn't sure whether to try to stop them or to join their forbidden trice. Because who, or what, are they really dancing with? When Annalie's involvement with a mysterious stranger who has secrets of his own intensifies, It's a race to unravel the darkness that has fallen over her family before it claims her next.
1: Okay, that sounds really good. Yeah. Is it holding up to the sort of tense yumminess that you've just described? (laughs) Yumminess is my word. It is.
0: So I'm probably hmm, just under a quarter of the way through it, so I can't tell you whether or not this book sticks the landing, Mm. but it's really rich and evocative. Like, I love the idea... This description isn't really even doing it justice. It's very much fairy tale fantasy. They don't live in the real world. They live on an island that's surrounded by other islands, and it's very superstitious. But Annalie is the daughter of a very rich man, and there's suspicion about all of these deaths to the point that she can't help but wonder whether or not it's a curse or if they're being targeted because of their wealth and their prestige. The stepmom is shady, Mm -hmm. shockingly enough. Mm -hmm. But just this idea of a curse looming large over your life is really interesting. And it weighs heavily on Annalie. Like basically, the children of this family are dying in order. The book opens with the most recent death. And then There's one sister who is older than her who would hypothetically be next, and then it's her. So I'm pretty sure this other sister is going to go, and then it's going to be, I need to stop this or figure out what's happening before I am the next one killed.
1: Okay, I'm kind of in.
0: Yeah, so I'm actually really liking it. It's a really easy read once you kind of get over the what are the names what is happening this is not the real world kind of ness of a fantasy book but yeah super easy read and i like the kind of palace intrigue that's going on
1: i like it and i like the way i like what you just said about having to get over the fantasy ness i think If you're not a consistent or regular fantasy reader, I'm definitely not. That is always a big stumbling block to me before I pick up any fantasy text. It's like, do I want to do the work right now? And I know some people really thrive on it. And I do sometimes. And I definitely find ones I love. But that is a block for me, a bit of a stumbling block.
0: It is for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think just because it's like you've got to wrap your head around an extra component. It's not just yeah. adjusting to an author's language or maybe the way the book is formalistically written. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, and now I've got to picture this completely made up universe. Yeah. And in this case, I think it's probably worth it. I'm enjoying it as that escapism. Like the work is worth it to get out of the real world.
1: That's cool. It's interesting, right? I think your brain is either wired to like love that. Because there's some people who I know don't think twice about picking up a fantasy book, and that's their favorite thing to do, is to kind of puzzle out the rules of the world.
0: I find hard
1: science fiction is even harder for me in that way.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a big struggle for me, too. Yeah.
1: (laughs) If your gravity is different, that's... Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) While we're doing a little bit of homework, Joe, I saw a meme on the internet that made me think of our show the other day. Okay. It very clearly articulates my struggle with subtitles that we've talked about on the show before. (laughs) it's like a sort of generically stereotypically beautiful woman and a dude and the Mm -hmm. woman is labeled foreign films and the dude is labeled me and then her boobs are labeled subtitles
0: (laughs) (laughs) how can you look at her face when you're so busy looking at her subtitle boobs
1: (laughs) seriously i was like oh my god this is my problem this is it right here i can't pay attention to two registers at once (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, uh, wow.
1: Yep. Yeah. Sorry, I Just to mildly
0: share. offensive. I love it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: all right. Let's talk about Cyrano de Bergerac. Speaking of boobs.
0: Yes. Speaking of boobs.
1: <laughs>
0: so, Brenna, let's say folks have never heard of Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah. What would they need to know to understand the discussion we're going to have?
1: Okay. Well, they would need to know that they probably already know this story because they've, like, definitely seen...
0: 100, <laughs> 100 adaptations of, of it in it. their life
1: i'm sure yes. and you know what? i was looking through like a list we could have added about three other films to this
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a particularly favorite trope of ya but anyway so cyrano de Bergerac play from 1987 written by edmund Wait, ross
0: 1987 Ste- so cont- so contemporary so
1: relevant <laughs> oh my god i'm fired Now, eight i almost did it again <laughs> <laughs> You're cutting all this, right?
0: No, this is too good.
1: <laughs> Cyrano de Bergerac is a play written in 1897. There we go. Does that sound better? Yes. By Edmund Rostad. And I am always surprised that it was written in 1897, actually, because... By that late in the Victorian period, we're talking like Oscar Wilde. We're talking Mm -hmm. books that feel very familiar and the language feels familiar. And, you know, there is a gap, but it's not the gap that I feel to Cyrano de Bergerac. (laughs) But it's written to be classical. So it's like written Mm -hmm. in rhyming couplets. It's translated from French. So there's a bit more of a barrier than I would expect for something from the late Victorian period. Anyway, that doesn't really matter. That's okay. Our protagonist is... Cyrano de Bergerac. And he's a nobleman, but he's a soldier and he's got lots of talents. He's good as a soldier and quite well regarded, but he's also a gifted poet and a gifted musician. And he's known for those traits, but he has a big nose.
0: <laughs> oh, no.
1: <laughs> and so it's usually described as an obnoxiously large nose. And it, yeah, it causes him to, they always say in like write-ups of it, it causes him to doubt himself. But basically, he doesn't feel like he has the ability to go after the woman he's in love with, because although he is brilliant, and gifted, and a poet, and a musician, he's got a big old honker.
0: Mm-hmm. What woman could go after you when you've got a big schnoz?
1: Important to note that the woman he really wants to get with is his cousin, Roxanne. <laughs> and he believes...
0: No comment. No comment.
1: (laughs) Um, He believes that he is so ugly that he won't even ever be loved by, quote, an ugly woman. So Roxanne is beautiful, but he doesn't even think he should shoot for ugly women on account of his big nose. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he's in love with Roxanne, obviously, uh, and he wants to impress her and he wants to make her happy. But also he wishes that he could be with her and now there's this other dude christian who is also kind of clever and interesting but he's sort of an alpha dude and he like makes fun of cyrano's nose and gets cyrano all upset and angry but he's not smart enough to woo roxanne okay so they kind of team up and cyrano says that he'll write letters to roxanne from christian and christian's like "Oh, okay cool I don't know. That's what happens I right. <laughs> don't really, I mean, the motivation behind it, right in if you feel like you care. Um, right.
0: <laughs> I mean, this is really the only part the YA latches onto. Yeah. Somebody poses as somebody else using their wit, and then, yes. of course, it ends up kind of coming back to bite them in the a**, but they also get what they want.
1: And the tricky kiss is also part of the original play. So okay. they set up a, a situation where Christian and Roxanne will kiss, And Roxanne is constantly being gaslit by this whole scenario because every time she talks to Christian in real life, he's an idiot. And then every time she gets a letter from him, he's amazing. And I think the half of it does that way better than Sierra Burgess as a loser does. Yes. And so, yeah, they have this whole like, you stand here. I'll stand here. I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to let you kiss her. And then at the last minute, Sierra like shoves Christian out of the way and max on Roxanne. (laughs) Anyway, he conceals his face so that she can't see his giant nose. And obviously, there's a bunch of other adventures. And then in the end, it all comes out. And Cyrano is like injured in some sort of battle. And Roxanne discovers that she loves him in the end. Right. Yeah. He dies, though. It's not a happy ending in Cyrano de Bergerac. Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah, because the ending of the two texts that we're going to talk about are radically different.
1: They are. Yes. I think
0: one of them is maybe a little bit more true to the original play.
1: Yes, but nobody dies in the version. Nobody does. dies.
0: No, People generally don't die in YA unless we are talking about a death narrative.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very true. So yeah, the, the, the tropes that you are used to are someone pretending to be someone else in order to woo them. Of course. a uh, tricky kiss mechanics. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and this sense of like, oh, once I find out the truth, I really am very much in love with you and not just mad that I've been lied to extensively. Right. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but I will forgive it later, so we can get together.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So that's Cyrano de Bergerac. I recommend the 2018 Bob's Burgers adaptation, as well <clears throat> as the 2000 Futurama adaptation.
0: Okay. Some
1: of my favorites. If you also don't want to read the play,
0: <laughs> they do adjust us, do they?
1: Yeah, they do actually. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, animation is smarter than it looks. It's not just for kids. We'll talk about that again one day. (laughs) We will, I'm sure.
1: But yes, in Futurama, it's a particularly good episode because it's a Zoidberg episode. I love Zoidberg. Uh, Yeah, (laughs)
0: Zoidberg. But we are not talking about that.
1: No. And do you realize, Joe, any of our actual teenage listeners were like not alive when Futurama started?
0: Okay. You know what? (laughs) What? Let's move on. I just can't. So let's begin with the first movie, Sierra Burgess is a Loser, from (sighs) 2018. So you want to go to Stanford? Yes, I almost got a
1: perfect score on my SATs. You're a good student, but Sierra, what's your Excuse me? Sierra Burgess is... Funny.
0: (laughs) Kid Wonder? True artist. Loser. Sierra Burgess is a loser. You are a magnificent beast.
1: I feel sometimes like yeah. you're
0: the one teenager who doesn't obsess over looks. Upside you.
1: I wonder what life is like for Rejects. Move it, Frodo. Veronica. Frodo is from Lord of the Rings. You're thinking of Quasimodo, the hunchback of Notre Dame? I meant looking at you makes me want to gouge my eyes out.
0: I met a guy. We texted. He definitely thinks that I'm someone else.
1: It's called catfishing, and I'm pretty sure it's illegal. <laughs>
0: Oh my god. Oh, like Veronica Veronica? That's what I have to live up to. Of all the phone numbers in the world, he texted mine. You
1: need to tell him the truth.
0: They're my words. He's falling for me. I am more than just a hot jock.
1: Are oh, you think that?
0: No. <laughs> Would you wanna go on a date with me? Uh yeah you've been failing all your classes, so so I think we can help each other. But I do need a favorite. So let's begin with the first movie, Sierra Burgess is a loser from 2018. It is directed by Ian Samuels, written by Lindsay Beer. We have uh, three out of four of the main teenage cast members are returning fixtures of this podcast, Brenna. I'm interested to know if you recognize them.
1: I am so profoundly over Noah Centineo, I can't even.
0: (laughs) Yes, we have now managed to cover almost everything
1: that he's done. His entire oeuvre, because it's all Netflix movies, and- It really is.
0: In my notes, I refer to him as Mr. Netflix.
1: (laughs) He's literally the same character in every single movie
0: uh because his hair is adorable but he ain't got range
1: (laughs) no he ain't got range it's yeah it's a hair and like a lips thing i think
0: oh yeah yeah he's very kissable
1: yes he is is, and he's very he's perfect for this genre of film right because he's handsome in a very masculine way without being Mm -hmm. in any way um threatening right so he's like ideal for this particular cultural moment Yes.
0: And in fairness to him, he actually does have good comedic chops. Like, he is a likable actor.
1: He is likable. I will mm-hmm. absolutely give him likability. I'm just yeah. bored of his face. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: yeah. We've seen a lot of it in a short period of time.
1: Yes. Yeah. And then I'm pretty sure that we've seen R.J. Kyler? Siler?
0: Siler, yeah.
1: Because he was in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, right? And he Correct. was the character we wanted more of and didn't get enough of in that movie, so...
0: Yes, welcome back to round two, because Dan is not a character in this movie.
1: No, he's not. He's really, 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 really not. And we ooh, we have a recurring mother, too.
0: In Leah Thompson? Mm-hmm. She okay. was the
1: mom in the modern adaptation of Little Women that we watched.
0: Right. Oh, wow. I have repressed that.
1: <laughs> she was the only thing I liked about that movie, because I really loved Caroline in the City in the 90s. So
0: yeah, a big fan. yeah. Okay, yep. it's it's coming back to me. Like a mm-hmm. Celine Dion song, it's all coming back to me.
1: <laughs> and the dad is a very YA, like sort of performative YA trope, because he's, mm-hmm. um, he's from Ferris Bueller's Day Off.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah, Alan Ruck. Yeah. And then we've also got Chrissy Metz as uh, she's Veronica's mom. She's from This Is Us, the TV show.
1: I really wanted that movie. I wanted the mom's movie.
0: Oh, yeah, that would have been... I mean, I don't want to say that this movie isn't interesting. No. It's just, yeah, like she is a fascinating character. Because you
1: find out, so as the movie progresses, you find out that her mom, her mom pretends that her dad's dead. Because dad's dead when really he just left her and Mm -hmm. there's this really great moment of growth for the mom where she sort of admits that and I just I was like that's the movie I want to (laughs) watch
0: yeah but oh no it's a fat actress we can't possibly have her do anything except be sad and bossy
1: yep yep
0: although I will say I did I was talking to Brian my husband about this and I thought it was interesting that we've got fat mom skinny daughter and then we've got quote-unquote that daughter in Sierra, our mm-hmm. main character played by Shannon Purser, who you wouldn't know, but she's Barb from Stranger Things. Oh, okay. Famously killed off character who people felt did not get her due. So it was very nice to actually see her get her own frickin' movie, which I appreciated.
1: She also plays Ethel in Riverdale. Yes, yeah, she does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at me knowing things about people.
0: I mean, you're talking Riverdale, Brenna. I'm not going to give you that. Sorry. Mm. Growing as a person, you are not even notice it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we've got Sierra, who is a quote unquote fat daughter. And then we've got skinny Leah Thompson as her mom. And I liked that it was like, nobody's happy. Yeah. It doesn't matter what shape you come in. You've got to make the best of your own situation. It's not about like, oh, well, if my mom was less fat, I would be happier. If my mom understood my own fatness, I would be happy. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. You got to find your own happy.
1: Yeah. And it's very much like that disconnect between mothers and daughters is sort of a recurring thematic because Mm -hmm. the dad, Sierra Burgess's dad is this English professor and he's like really disconnected from her. He speaks to her almost entirely in literary allusion. Very odd. Yeah,
0: it's, um, it did not work for me. It did
1: not work at all. I think why it didn't work at all is because he, as a result of that, he's incredibly distanced from her, right? Like he doesn't mm-hmm. understand what she's going through. And yet it's the mom who has to absorb all the ire. I didn't love that. Yeah...
0: I also just didn't feel the weight of their connection. Like we keep getting references to his you know, scholastic aptitude and how she's living in the shadow of his greatness when she's going in for her college applications. But there's not enough of it in no. this movie to land. So when there's a key emotional beat at the end where she plays the song to him, you're just like, but why? Yeah, no. No. So the final young member of our cast member who we've mentioned is Veronica and she is played by Christine Froseth. And this is Alaska from Looking for Alaska. Yes. And I thought she was great.
1: I liked her a lot better in this than I liked her in Looking for Alaska.
0: I mean, admittedly, she's an easier character to like in mm-hmm. this.
1: <laughs> That's true.
0: She's not uh, burdened by the weight of a John Green Pixie Dream Girl. <laughs> this and is look true. at her shine this <laughs> as is a true. result. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so basically the story is more or less what you would expect. Sierra Burgess is a quote-unquote loser because she is academically oriented, but she doesn't have a lot of friends aside from Dan, who is queer-coded, but I don't think we're actually given any kind of confirmation as to his sexuality
1: no he goes after the one a woman at one point and i was so confused because he's clearly supposed to be the queer best friend and then he hooks up with um oh who can remember yeah i was so i was so i could did like a full body double take at the the screen
0: right yeah i think that's just a testament to a badly drawn character yes it's like (laughs) it's not the performance by rj seiler it's no
1: it's the role doesn't make any sense
0: yeah So anyway, these two are friends, and Sierra ends up kind of falling into Veronica's hemisphere because Veronica is hit on by Jamie, who is Noah Centineo's character, at a diner. And instead of giving him her number, she gives him Sierra's number from a poster that Sierra had put up for tutoring. And as a result, Sierra- That
1: Veronica had torn down because she is a stereotypical mean girl at the beginning of the movie.
0: Yes. She doesn't like Sierra because Sierra is not like her.
1: Yeah which is, I mean, we've all had high
0: school experiences, so this isn't that far off. No,
1: no, it exists. Yeah,
0: but uh, Sierra and Jamie start up a a fast, flirtatious relationship, and of course, he thinks that she is Veronica, so he wants to talk to her in person. He wants to go on real-life dates, which requires Sierra to then befriend Veronica in exchange for helping her to go after a college boy named Shane, and who could care about that? Except for the fact that Shane is your stereotypical gross older dude who takes advantage of Veronica.
1: Isn't his name Spence? Yes. (laughs) But in fairness, who could care?
0: (laughs) I mean, insert generic boy name. Yeah. 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 So, of course, things end up coming to a head when Sierra sees Veronica kissing Jamie. There's meant to be no kissing except for the tricky kiss that Mm -hmm. was engineered and she ends up doing a really horrible social media mm-hmm. response where she hacks into Veronica's Instagram account. And then she publicly posts that Veronica was dumped by this college guy. Mm-hmm. And it gets thrown up onto the the giant billboard at the football game. And Veronica is horrified. And we're meant to be okay with the way that things come together where Jamie forgives Sierra for lying to him about everything and Veronica is like, no, girl, we're cool.
1: With no apology. No I'm so apology. confused by that. I was like, wait, why are they cool?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually the biggest failure of it this is. film. So all of the people are likable it's mostly fine as we mentioned there's a recurring joke where sierra is believed to be either trans or a lesbian because Mm -hmm. she is like a size six Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that
0: got old real fast Mm -hmm. but the biggest issue for me is really this ending where it's meant to be a happy romantic finale because jamie and sierra get together and veronica forgives her it's twofold a mistake twofold a The movie should not end with her getting together with Jamie. No. As much as you find Noah Centineo a little bit bland, he is the best character in terms of he's the nicest guy. Yes. And for him to just forgive Sierra. Yes. I don't think it's earned.
1: No, it's not earned. And I especially the reason it bothers me the most is so the film is steeped in fat phobia just like from a concept level.
0: Mm -hmm. It's the premise.
1: It's also steeped in ableism, and there's this scene mm-hmm. where Sierra pretends to be deaf, All so she right. doesn't have to talk to yeah. Noah Centineo's character, Jamie, mm-hmm. and it turns out that Jamie's little brother is deaf, and so he begins to sign to her, and sh- she doesn't immediately fess up, no. so she lets that quote-unquote gag carry on.
0: Yeah. Um. No.
1: If it was consistent with the rest of Jamie's characterization, that would be the unforgivable sin. Mm. like she would not come back from that with him no and yet it's never mentioned again
0: no and that brother character <sighs> isn't even really shown again after no. that scene
1: no he's just useful for that one football scene yeah <laughs> which i mean which again is like this ableist sort of trotting out of a character with difference because it allows for it a a joke which mm-hmm. was very uncomfortable yeah. and b for the narrative arc to move forward but not for that character to be a person in their own right yeah this movie's kind of a mess Yes. Like, I didn't hate it, and there no. are moments of it that are enjoyable, but mm-hmm. so many of the beats miss their mark. The other one that really bothered me is, obviously, the. I'm assuming we're going to talk about the kiss scene.
0: Yeah, let, let's do it. Oof. So in this moment, <sighs> Veronica and Jamie have gone out on a date to the movies, and then they're talking by his car in an empty parking lot afterwards, and Sierra is trying to listen in. I initially thought that it was because she just needed to hear what was happening so that if she continued the ruse afterwards, she would know what had been discussed. But then we get this manufactured moment where they force Jamie to close his eyes Mm -hmm. because he wants to kiss Veronica. And then Veronica pulls Sierra out and... From under a car. From under a car, they swap places so that sierra and jamie kiss and then they keep his eyes closed and apparently somehow manage to convince him that there isn't a third person there yep i mean it completely stretches it stretches it
1: doesn't work and also it's really gross and if it's rapey it's very rapey if that scene had been made if noah centineo was the female lead that movie would that scene would not have been
0: shot in 2018 Mm -mm.
1: it's very troublesome
0: I do think that that's one of the things that I really walked away from this film is that it doesn't feel like a 2018 film. It feels like the kind of film that we were seeing at the turn of the aughts.
1: I was going to say it's a 2000s film. It's a 2000s film,
0: maybe like a 2013. Like I could see this getting made at the same time as me and her and the dying girl Mm, where it's like it's hitting some of the beats, but it's actually missing a lot of them because they haven't thought through the implications. But to think that this is a film that came out two years ago, it feels old.
1: Yeah, it really does. It feels old and it feels out of touch. Yes. Uncomfortably so. Mm -hmm. And again, and I know it's becoming like a hobby horse for me, but the lack of attention to the female friendship, like don't make the female friendship the centerpiece of the film if you're not actually interested in it at all.
0: Well, and here's the thing, because I was super interested in this yes. female friendship. And I was really hoping, this, this is part of the problem, I watched the half of it first. Oh, yeah, I know that.
1: You shouldn't have done that. Thank you for that advice, by the way.
0: Yeah, I texted you and was like, do not do this order, <laughs> do the other order. Not just because I think Sierra Burgess is a less adept film, but it's really hard to watch a film that prioritizes friendship and then go back to one that just says, hey, here's romance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I feel like romance is maybe dead to me, and I just want friendship.
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's just we've seen it so many times, right? There's only so many romance plots that we can get Mm -hmm. excited about at this point. And, you know, there are some romantic leads where the chemistry is such that I will be carried along by it, but I was so... (sighs) sarah burgess is wildly unlikable and i don't think she's wildly unlikable intentionally mm-hmm. like it's one thing to make a character who is sort of you know smart and driven and the other characters in the film don't like that and and we struggle to see that character outside of sort of the confines of society's expectations but when we do there's a great payoff right yes that's not this no <laughs> this is an ableist character mm-hmm. living in with a whole bunch of internalized shame in a fat phobic world without giving her the gift of like critical insight. And then she's just a bad friend.
0: (laughs) She's a bad friend. She's kind of a bit of an annoying daughter. Yeah. I mean, the parents are not great. They're also very thinly stretched or sketched. But just overall, yeah, Sierra is only really an enjoyable character for part of
1: this film. And when the plot kicks in, she becomes a mess. Yes. And, you know... She is a mess. <laughs> she's difficult. And she's, you know, it's interesting, right? We're supposed to forgive Sierra all her faults because we know that she has some deep-seated insecurities. Yes. Um, But Veronica does too. Like, the reason mm. Spence dumps Veronica is because he thinks she's too dumb to date. And yeah. she, the whole reason she likes what's happening between her and Jamie is because Jamie believes she's smart because he's communicating with Sierra and she gets treated well. So... It's interesting to me that we're supposed to forgive any horrible thing Sierra does because, I don't know, she's insecure, but we're also supposed to let her heap abuse on Veronica with absolutely no apology. It's bizarre. It's a bizarre framing and they're not really friends and I found that Mm
0: -hmm. stressful. Yeah. yeah particularly when the final moments of the film suggest like Sierra has gotten everything that she wants and needs and deserves and there's a moment between her and Veronica where Veronica gives her a head nod like yeah girl good for you yeah. and all I could think of was this rings so false So false.
1: can we yeah. talk about the good movie?
0: yeah let's talk about the good movie so. <laughs> the good thing about being different in a town like this is that no one expects you to be like them I'm 17, I live in Squamish with my dad. I run a business, writing essays for people. I guess I just never thought I'd need anyone else. Hey, hold up. $10 for three pages. No, I'm not trying to cheat. What's this? A letter. Maybe you can make me sound smart. Dear Aster Flores, I'm in
1: love with you. These hallways are murder. I'm Elie Chu. Yeah, I know. Uh, you want a letter about love? I'll write you a letter about love.
0: Hey! She wrote back! We can do this.
1: Ask her to hang out.
0: Come on, dude. Can you messaged me? Yup. Conversation is like ping pong. I hit one, and then you. What the? Oops. <laughs> Where were you born? In Squamish. What do you like about Squamish? I've never been anywhere else. Me neither. What do you like about Aster? She's pretty and smart. What else could I like about her? I don't know. How her eyes look right into yours. How you can live in an ocean of her thoughts and she really knows.
1: I'm so stupid.
0: I just meant...
1: You like Aster?
0: So the reason we're doing this is thanks to our listener, Andrew, who recommended this movie once again. Nailed it. Not on my freaking radar. No, but totally nailed it. This is a movie that just came out on May 1st. It is written and directed by Alice Wu. This is her sophomore film after a 16-year absence from making movies, Brenna. Seriously? Yeah, so she made one movie in 2004. It's a hallmark of queer cinema And she was the talk of the town. And then her mom got sick and she had to move in and take care of her. And she also felt like all of the doors just immediately shut to her because she was interested in making lesbian queer films. And people were like, this is great. We really like what you're doing. Could they also be more about men and less about gay stuff? Oh, so she was like, okay, I don't think my particular style of storytelling is being well received. And also my mom is ill. So... Her mom is actually fine. Yay! Yay! (laughs) But she finally ended up cracking this story that was just kind of percolating around. The hilarious story is that she wrote the script for this in five weeks under threat of a friend of hers cashing a check she had written for, I think it was like $1,000, but she said, if I don't have this script ready to go in this period of time, please give the check to the NRA. Oh my God. So she was like, I finished that script, and that check did not get (laughs) cashed. That's amazing. (laughs) So the half of it obviously takes a lot of the same ideas. It is a film about Ellie, played by Leah Lewis. And she has a secret to everyone else, and not at all secret to her, crush on cool alternative girl Aster, Alexis Lemire. Lemire? Probably Alexis Lemire. Feels like that. And, uh... Aster is, she's a quote-unquote popular girl, but she comes from a poor family. She's dating the richest guy in town, Squamish. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? That town really circumscribes all of their options and choices.
0: Yes. Yeah. So Ellie lives, <laughs> the details in this movie kill it's so me. so good. Yeah. So Ellie lives with her dad, played by Colin Chu, and they man the train station yep. in town.
1: And and her dad was an engineer in China, and so he's taken this job as a way to get, like, American work experience to get back into engineering engineering, Mm -hmm. not, like, train engineering, and it's not worked.
0: No, because he does not speak English well, or he's not confident.
1: I was going to say he doesn't think he speaks it well enough.
0: Yeah, so he doesn't try to such an extent that Ellie is more or less responsible for keeping the family afloat with anything to do outside of their little conjoined bubble. So if a bill needs to be paid, she can't rely on her father to call and settle it because he believes his English is not good enough. So she has to call and wait on line like, yep. for hours while she's at school. So of yep. course, Ellie is also our very typical Cyrano de Bergerac heroine in that she is exceptionally smart in this case, we're introduced to her. She's writing pretty much all of the papers for her English class.
1: Yes, her philosophy class, I think. It's like the, the philosophy teacher knows and it's just like, I don't want to read those papers. I'd rather read your papers. Yeah. <laughs> Which I loved
0: when Ellie actually gets distracted under the guise of helping the remaining character. We've not talked about Paul, who is a football player played by Daniel Diemer. And they end up helping each other so that they can get closer to Aster. But Ellie becomes so distracted, she's no longer writing the school papers. And (laughs) the teacher is like, what is going on? The quality. I've had to read so many bad (laughs) essays.
1: Yep. Yep. (laughs) I loved it because it's one of the most believable teacher intervening in a personal life backstories we've ever had.
0: Yes. Yeah. The faculty member who actually knows what's going on and is kind of like, you know what? I'm fine with it. Just let's keep it on the down low. Yep. So this movie is honestly a freaking gem it's great it follows a lot of the exact same beats that we would normally expect so ellie has to school paul in how to be smarter because it's not that he's dumb it's just that he gets tongue-tied and he doesn't have the depth of knowledge that ellie has so astor likes philosophy and she likes foreign movies and horror films Brenna, I have never related to a character more than the scene where Aster is (laughs) (laughs)
1: laughing in the theater, (laughs)
0: laughing in the theater at a horror movie while everyone else is freaking out. And I was like, Aster, uh, you are me. I love you so much. (laughs) So I think the thing that works the best for me about this film, not just the fact that Ellie is unapologetically queer, but also not ready to come out. The fact that her relationship with Paul is so genuine and warm and that is the priority of this film so this film spoilers to anyone who has not watched the half of it you really should the movie doesn't end with a happy ending no we actually get another slightly rapey kiss where ellie plants one on Aster before they both head off to college but the purpose is not ellie and Aster getting together
1: well and she doesn't think that she's kissing someone else right it's just right yeah But I actually like the ending. Like, I know it's not a quote-unquote happy ending, but I love the growth for... Everyone? Well, yeah, for everyone. I love the growth for everyone. But I especially love the growth for Ellie. Like, she couldn't conceive of a way to do anything other than stay at home and and protect her dad. But
0: Mm -hmm.
1: her dad's growth and, gosh, the fact that Paul wants to be with her dad, like, helping him Mm -hmm. out and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, she's just made so many... She's grown her world so profoundly by the end of the movie. And I'm just so happy for her and for everyone else. And I yeah. loved Paul. I just loved him. Oh my god.
0: The character of Paul feels so fresh yes. and exciting. Yes. I mean, it doesn't hurt that Daniel Deemer is kind of adorable He's so in this adorable. role. Yeah. But the relationship between Ellie and Paul, honestly, like, I keep saying the same words because it's just so warm. It's so generous. Yeah. It's so believable, like the way that they're interacting, the time that they're spending together. Like, we've got, you know, the usual YA tropes, we've got montages, we've got education sequences where Ellie is training Paul up and characters are noticing their growth in respective circles and so on. This film is hitting these tropes in all the ways you would expect. And yet it feels like a breath of fresh air.
1: I just loved everything about this world and the way it's depicted. Mm hmm and you know i definitely grew up in a in a small town
0: <laughs> you had your own squamish
1: I my own squamish where, where you know you're circumscribed by the limitations of your world and mm-hmm. that felt really real to me like i love i love the fact that her big quote-unquote escape isn't like she's going to new york city she's going to la she's going to iowa she's yeah, going to a college in iowa and like That makes sense. Like, that feels authentic and real and like a reasonable stretch for Ellie. Mm -hmm. I would not have believed the version of this story where Ellie goes to Stanford, for example. Like, that wouldn't have made sense. But the fact that she is able to spread her wings enough to go to college in Iowa instead of just going to the college in the closest city and living at home. God, I loved that. Mm -hmm. And she takes a train there by herself. And it's just like, I don't know. It's so perfect. It's such a nice reflection of... Dealing with class in an authentic way, dealing Mm -hmm. with the rural remote experience in an authentic way, reflecting on what that would have felt like for a character like Ellie, what it feels like for her dad to be Mm -hmm. so profoundly isolated, why they moved there in the first place. Like all of it is so lovely and felt so honest. I was really just charmed by this movie top to bottom.
0: Yeah. And honestly, a lot of people have gravitated to the story about her father and how... (sighs) just how well it handles his narrative. Like, this is very firmly Ellie's story. It's about her relationship with Paul. It's not as though Colin Shu mm-hmm. is in a huge part of this film, although we mm-hmm. are getting quite a bit more of him than we tend to get of parents. Mm-hmm. But this feels like familial storytelling done yes. right, because yes. we know who this character is. We understand his issues. Like, this is obviously an immigrant story and Mm -hmm. yet it's universal like it's so easy to understand exactly what he's going through how he feels about Ellie the sacrifices that he's both making but also the sacrifices he's unintentionally demanding of her Mm -hmm. and why it's important for him to grow as a character so that she can make her own escape
1: and I loved 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 that you know Ellie has kept her world really separate small. from and she's, <laughs> and she's kept it small she's kept it separately like she hasn't let people in mm-hmm. um and so when she needs to spend time with paul she just assumes they're going to his house and so and he welcomes her they go to his house and she sees what dinner looks like at his <laughs> house i love it it's so good like his family is completely out of control chaotic and, and there's like a
0: million of them. <laughs>
1: there's like 10 million of them. And they're all loud and they're screaming. And it's just sausages as far as the eye can see. Yeah. And you suddenly realize how quiet, reserved Paul gets lost in that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so they have this moment of connection that like, they both have these home lives that they can't really explain to other people and that aren't really nourishing them. Like she helps him get more kind of airtime in his family. Mm-hmm. And he helps her dad to connect Outside of their family. And it's just like, oh, their friendship is just one of my favorite things we've ever watched on this show. Yeah, ever.
0: It's fantastic. And to be honest, that's like where my issue with the film lies. I really, really like this film, but the fact that we have to keep up the ruse with Aster and the fact mm-hmm. that Aster ultimately isn't as fleshed out as these other characters, mm-hmm. like because we get more of the dad, because we get more of the friendship, what ends up happening is that we lose the romance, which mm-hmm. I'm fine with, but we also lose Aster as a character. Like, she is not a real girl no, until way late in the film.
1: Yeah, we get glimmers of, of her complexity, but you're right, not until way later, because it, Ellie has to be able to see herself as a whole person before she can see Aster as a whole person, mm-hmm. and that takes so much time in the, in the rolling out of the film. Yeah. And it's interesting because Aster is circumscribed not just by her geography, but by her... Family situation. So her dad yes. is the pastor, and it means that she can't, like, she's just supposed to marry this boy who she's going to high school with. He's mm-hmm. kind of an idiot, and yeah. she's supposed to just be okay with it.
0: It didn't work for me because it's such a throwaway. Like, at one point, we just hear, Oh, I guess I'm supposed to marry this guy. And then, of course, at the end, the climax of the film, quote unquote, is him asking her to marry him in front of the congregation during Mm -hmm. service. And of course, we get everything comes out. But we've never really spent time with their relationship. No. So it doesn't resonate with us. But also, it's not clear why Aster would ever, like everything we've been presented with Aster is that she would be far too smart to Mm -hmm. ever even consider just randomly marrying your high school sweetheart.
1: It's a terrible idea
0: oh yeah like and it's immediately obvious that it's a terrible idea so it's never joe i was being funny ah (laughs) (laughs) it's a terrible idea if you're not on board with it (laughs) which she clearly is not (laughs) no i agree listeners reminder brenna married her high school sweetheart (laughs) and then had a baby and then moved out
1: west well moved out west and then had baby (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> semantics, timeline, semantics. <laughs> um, no, I agree with you completely. I think that we don't. We know that the church is restrictive. We know that the world is very small that the church mm-hmm. allows, and we know that everyone in the town is quite circumscribed by it. And part of what keeps Ellie as an outsider is that she and her dad are not part of that religion. Yeah, they're not but, even
0: technically part of the town either, right? No, they're not. <laughs> they're she has to bike so far.
1: <laughs> and so, but the problem is that all of a sudden, the three quarters of the way through the film, the stakes of the church mean everything and Mm we are like struggling to catch up.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, it's not about Ellie and Paul and her dad anymore. It's about the restrictions of the town and the societal expectations of girls upon graduation from high school. And it's like, uh, but what works so well in this movie are the intimate character details. Yes. So like when I think of this film, I'm going to remember the scene where Ellie sits in Paul's truck and ends up having to text Aster yeah. as though she is Paul sitting on the other side of the table in this restaurant and Paul just continually looking at Ellie being like, what is happening? I'm not part of this conversation. <laughs> yeah. and the scene where she and Aster go to a hot spring and they just lay next to each other in the water and it's gorgeous like Mm -hmm. just so beautifully filmed like this movie is filled with these really intimate personal beats and then the end of it is like a giant first in a religious service and people are standing up and people think that paul's gay and you're just like no no it almost falls into a tropey ya
1: agreed
0: and and i don't i didn't like it
1: no, I agree completely. It's one of those things, right? Like, I really quite love this little film. And sometimes you just want to... You want to be able to go back in time and be like, hey, 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 this isn't a Cyrano de Bergerac story. Just focus on the friendship. You yeah. know what I mean?
0: Like, just let go of let the go. romance.
1: Yeah, and I get it. Because I think sometimes what happens is that's how this stuff gets sold, right?
0: Oh, 100%.
1: And then you can't. Like, you're tied to it. But in this case trying to shoehorn that back in Mm -hmm. to the film
0: it's to its own detriment
1: it's to its own detriment like it almost would have been better off if they had realized that the letters plot wasn't working but decided to be friends anyway and Mm then continued the film from there you know Yeah,
0: right (laughs) Right? and let's help each other accomplish our own goals
1: our bigger (laughs) dreams yeah yeah
0: He gets his sausage and a taco idea off the ground, which, P.S., looked delicious.
1: It did look delicious. Yeah, it really did. Yeah,
0: and she heads off to Iowa, and it's, you know, hunky-dory. I love that.
1: I loved that. I just love the end of this film so much.
0: But I think, you know, what we've identified as being a problem is it's unfortunately had an issue with this film because... Upon release, people were heaping praise on it, talking about how great it is to see a person of color, a queer in this lead role, how important the family immigrant storyline is, the friendship. But apparently there's also a vocal, I think, minority, talking about how disappointing it is that Ellie and Astor don't get together in the end. And all I could think of was, what film are these people watching? Well,
1: that's the thing, right? Because, I mean, if the problem with the film is that we don't get enough of Astor's narrative... Mm-hmm. Having her entire life recontextualized in order to be with Ellie wouldn't help that. No.
0: And it would feel so false.
1: It would feel so false. Everybody is wrong at movies, Joe.
0: <laughs> I'm just like, Aster is not a queer character. No. How can you expect a romance? Yeah. What, you want her to pretend? Like, she even talks about it. She's like, maybe in another world. And you're like, No. No. No, and the cool thing about that.
1: Ellie is that she's confident enough in herself by that point in the film that she doesn't get caught up in a what if kind of hope. Do you know what I mean? Like it could be, it would be so easy for that to then tie the narrative down. Like she's mm-hmm. just waiting and hoping.
0: Yeah, I was so, so grateful she's like, that cool, that did Bye. I'll see you in a few years. I'm going to go out to college. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm going to the big city. I'm going to Iowa.
0: Oh God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. I think that about does it for Sierra Burgess and the half of it. Yeah. I think they're both worth checking out. It was really interesting to watch them back to back and get to see different takes on the same idea and think about the limitations of this particular narrative.
1: Agreed. I really like the half of it. If you watch one of these, watch the half of it.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah.
1: just, I don't know. Every time we see something that really takes a refreshing look at YA I'm grateful and Mm -hmm. I welcome it so yeah yeah and
0: I'm just gonna be that annoying person who's like and look the better film happens to be written by a queer woman Mm -hmm. and stars a person of color like Mm -hmm. I'm just saying I'm just saying I don't think it's universal but shockingly enough when we allow diverse creative voices to make art that speaks to them shockingly Mm -hmm. enough the output is better
1: it's good and refreshing. And I will say, like, I knew that Sierra Burgess's is a Loser had been written by a woman. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who had directed it. When we got to the end and I realized just how mm-hmm. absent any interest in the female friendship was, I like, I was like, I bet this was directed by a dude. Yeah. And it was. And it is. You know, like, ugh, these relationships, whether it's women's friendships or queer stories or immigrant narratives, they are real people's real lives (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i'm so just done with them being treated as set pieces to a dominant narrative that is growing boring
0: quickly yeah that's not to say that you know there isn't a place for male creators and stuff it's just maybe this isn't the story that you should be telling maybe you should find a way to tell your own story in an interesting creative way
1: or try being interested in the women's friendship uh,
0: right like now like, you're asking for a lot of work Brenna.
1: <laughs> like from a narrative perspective it doesn't make any sense that he doesn't care about what happens between sierra and veronica you know
0: but we need to get to the smoochies <sighs> <sighs> yeah.
1: can you imagine if they cast noah centineo in something and he didn't kiss anyone right that would be radical
0: uh, i mean noah centineo challenge for you sir <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, he'd have to cash in all that sweet, sweet uh, Netflix cash. I don't see that happening. This is true. Yeah. All right. Are we doing YA bingo for these?
0: Uh, I had not planned to, but we absolutely can because there is more than enough to work with.
1: I'm going to like blend them together. Can I go through the card? Yeah. yeah. Bingo. Not
0: a good bingo.
1: So musicality for the half of it. I loved the half of it soundtrack. Uh, It is so good. Yes. It is so perfectly small town. Like, (laughs) Gordon Lightfoot is, like, at the romantic, not the romantic climax, but there's a Gordon Lightfoot song that plays when, like, Ellie is realizing that, like, this is never going to work out. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, of course there is. Of course there's a Gordon Lightfoot song playing. Like, it's perfect.
0: It's really (laughs) well done. It's so
1: well done. I'm going to say perfect date because there's the construct of a perfect date in both films. Mm
0: -hmm. And I love that they're unconventional perfect dates, right? Totally unconventional perfect dates in both cases
1: um we definitely have gaslighting
0: to the max
1: gaslighting. i mean cyrna de bergerac is a gaslighting story (laughs) yeah
0: it's gaslighting the play now adapted into gaslighting the movie
1: yeah exactly (laughs) it's funny because i really want to assign dan in Sierra bridge's queer secondary character but i guess i can't but wow has he ever coded that way i
0: mean a hundred percent like the Gator was going off
1: i got mediocre white boys for both spence and whatever veronica's boyfriend's name is can't remember
0: uh i want to say like a troy or something like that
1: (laughs) uh we got dead parents obviously oh yeah yep yep um we got oh joe joe Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we got some allusions mm -hmm. to classical literature, joe
0: what what are you talking about where did that come from
1: i think Sierra bridges has parent stunt casting uh huh. And I think Noah Centineo might be stunt casting now for YA. Oh, I like it. Interesting. I think okay. He might be at that point. Obviously, we have love triangles in both stories. Yes, of course.
0: Unlikely friendships, because of course, these people shouldn't be right. friends. That's
1: right. They're not supposed to be friends in the first place. So, yeah.
0: I think also we've got a little bit of acerbic wit, because we've got some very clever letter writing.
1: Yes, that's true. I love the letters in the half of it. They're so good.
0: Yeah. And then can we say sexual awakening? Because really, both of our characters, were they not trying to break out of their box? It kind of feels like these are the things I will do for a first love.
1: Yeah, I get it. I agree. I agree. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, it's tricky. If we count the queer secondary character, then we do get a line. And if we do not, then we do not.
1: (laughs) I don't think we can.
0: All right. Fine. (laughs) Because
1: <laughs> they inexplicably have him interested in women at the end. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. All right, folks. So next week, mm-hmm. Joe has <laughs> reading.
0: You know what? It is the first of two weeks of Hunger Games oh, madness, God. Brenna.
1: So much Hunger Games content. Yes. I hope you like Suzanne Collins. That's all we're doing for the next two weeks. So next week is Catching Fire yes. uh, and the film, obviously. And mm-hmm. then um, the week after, we're going to read the prequel, apparently. We're going to yeah, read Ballad baby. of Songbirds and Snakes.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is an egregious title and a dumb concept.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Maybe <laughs> she'll pull it off. Maybe we'll be surprised.
1: Maybe. 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 Um, if you want to get a hold of us and tell us your favorite Cyrano de Bergerac, um, uh, adaptation. Yeah.
0: Tell us if there's like another one that's on par that we should be checking out.
1: Yeah, do. And so you can get us both on the Twitters at hashtag HKHSpod. Joe, how do they find you?
0: Uh, you can reach me at B stole my remote and that's the letter B.
1: And if you're a Noah Centineo stan and you're mad at me, you can find me at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And for long form stuff, you can email us at hkhspod at Mm gmail.com. So that's where we're headed. And that's where we are. And uh, until next time, I'll see you on the page.
0: And I'll see you on the screen.